is Yosemite Land, the Capital Public Radio podcast, where we look at how Yosemite National Park is changing and explore its future. I'm your host, Ezra David Romero. I visited Yosemite since I was a little kid, and this place has sort of shaped my identity and what I like to do for fun. I can't remember the last time I went to a theater, and I'm not really a TV person, but I do know the last time I hit the trail, biked, or paddleboarded. Even though Yosemite has somehow imparted this love for the outdoors in me, I think what I didn't understand is how spiritual Yosemite is. From the start of this podcast until now, there have been moments where I felt like Yosemite was speaking to me. Within the first hours of being in the park on that first reporting trip, my buddy and I hiked up the four-mile trail to Glacier Point, and on the way, like 1,500 feet up the mountainside, we saw a double rainbow. We both sort of freaked out, and in typical tourist fashion, we stood on some big rocks and took selfies for our Instagrams. Sergio, what are you doing? Risking my life for the gram. Gladly. Gotta get that gram. <laughs> we had a lot of fun on that hike, and looking back, it almost felt like I was being welcomed. When I started to interview Native Americans with ties to the park, I began to understand that Yosemite isn't just a popular tourist destination. It's sacred. Welcome to Yosemite Land. Lonnie Kauk spends his summer scaling cliffs across Yosemite. He says the Awanichi, the name of his people, believe their ancestors still reside here. So much so that before he climbs, he asks them for permission to go up cliffs like El Capitan. I still say thank you at the end of the day and walk away and it feels good. Do you feel like the spirits ever say no? Uh, yeah. Some days in the morning, you'll, I'll just know. It'll say, no, not today. Okay, I'll just chill. I'll just do whatever else. Julia Parker is Lonnie's grandmother. She moved to Yosemite when she was 18 and married an Awanichi man. She says Yosemite means grizzly bear in Miwok. The people of the... Valley here lived in two animal clans. One side was uh, the people of the Bear Humidi, and the other side was the uh, people of the Coyote Ahele. Julia worked in Yosemite for more than five decades, teaching visitors how to make baskets and is a storyteller interpreting Native American culture. She raised her kids in Yosemite Valley and witnessed a lot. She's not originally from Yosemite. Julia's Native American, but from a coastal tribe. She was orphaned and later accepted by the Native Americans here. And in a way, she feels like Yosemite gave her a second chance. Well, I always considered the Yosemite Valley a mother for me because I never had a mother. And when I came in here, it protected me from everything from the outside. Kept all the good things in here, and uh, then I just stayed here. All these years later, Julia wants her kids and grandchildren to see that the land can take care of them if they take care of it. And that's also her message for people making decisions about Yosemite's future. Julia and her daughter Lucy brought me to a Wani meadow in Yosemite Valley to collect basket materials. They're singing a song asking the ancestors to bless the gathering. This is a stunning spot. When I look up, I can see Half Dome, Yosemite Falls rushing, and Glacier Point. But still, four sides of this meadow are touched by humanity roads, employee housing, and a hotel surrounded. The family has gathered in this exact spot for generations. These ones are pretty easy to get to. Yeah. 
Lucy and I are clipping branches off willow trees. She'll use them as a structure for a basket. I'm looking right now for some pretty straight ones. Like this. It looks pretty good here. Basket making keeps them tied to their heritage. And today, seven tribes are connected to the region. Usually snip it right at the bottom, at the base. And I'll just usually gather a lot of them. So these are all going to be really good in the fall. The legacy of Native Americans in Yosemite is fraught with violence and oppression. In the mid-1800s, a battalion of state militia discovered the region. Soldiers hunted Native Americans and burned their villages. Many Native people fled. Some eventually made their way back and learned ways to stay in Yosemite. They worked service jobs, danced traditional songs for tourists, or weaved baskets. That's what Julia did. She took over for a ranger. And one day he said something that wasn't right. So then they always used to tease me because I used to have my head down like this in the bad basket. And one day they, they said something I didn't like and I put that basket down. So now I can't quit talking. But even with the jobs, Julia says there was still tension between the Park Service and Native Americans. She says they felt like they weren't fully welcome in their own village. That was made clear to her when all but one cabin in their village were destroyed in the 60s. Julia's daughter Lucy remembers what that time was like. Park Service came down and they burned the houses down right in front of us and they said it was for a, um, a fire training. And you know, at the time, we nobody said anything, nobody stood up because it was feared for your jobs. You know, you work for the Park Service. Her family was the last to leave the village. And Julia says it was the only physical place they had left in Yosemite that was just theirs. They took the village and they said they were going to, uh, didn't want the Indians in there. And like I said, we were the last family to move out. And uh, the superintendent sent a car down and uh, when my husband was in the back country working and he came down and he said, you have to leave the village, Julia. And so we all crawled in the car and they brought us up here to the new world, new village. And uh, they said, that's your house. And so what could you do? Julia and her daughter confess that the new home they moved into after the village was destroyed had better accommodations, like a kitchen, multiple rooms, and a bathroom. But it just wasn't what they were used to. The village was special. It was a community where their culture was dominant and together. I think it was looked upon as, you know, to better us, make us more um, upgrade, you know, <laughs> and, you know, didn't ask us, didn't really care or think about any of the culture stuff. You know, did, they didn't think about, well, these are descendants of the, the people here, you know, the Iwani people, the Miwok Paiute people. Since then, any Native Americans in Yosemite live among park staff. The Park Service has been really great in responding to my requests and countless questions for this podcast. I understand it's been a busy summer with the Mariposa Grove of Giant Sequoias opening and then the big fire that shut down Yosemite Valley. But I felt like it was important to give them an opportunity to answer to this legacy of destruction and oppression and these accusations. I reached out months ago to talk to a Native American liaison, but they weren't available. Then I asked a month before the podcast came out, and then a couple more times. I finally got a response. They said they're just not sure where they can talk about the village, and that it would be a couple days before they could get back to me. 
In an earlier version of this episode, I said I felt like the park didn't want to answer me. One of the park's public information officers got back to our team and said that's not true. So we decided to take out that line. Still, they have not given us a statement or a response on what took place at the village. I'm walking into the area of Yosemite where the Native American village was that was destroyed a half a century ago. It's not too far from Yosemite Lodge and it's right next to Camp 4 where rock climbers stay. There's building materials all around me because the village is being resurrected. I'm with three Awanichi elders who have worked to bring the village back to life for more than four decades. As soon as I walk up and say hello, Tony Brocchini lights a handful of sage and waves them in front of me. So what, is it, what does this do? What this does is cleanse your aura and, and it uh, rids off any baggage or any spirits that may be with you bringing in from Sacramento. <laughs> Tony was born in Yosemite Valley and grew up in this village. So did his friend Bill Tucker. He's sitting right next to me. Stomp your feet a little bit. You're stomping on the foundation of the only house that we got left here in a park service. This rock right here? That rock. This place is called Wahoga. It means village in Miwok. Les James is another elder that has fought to restore it. He's showing me around. This is what we call the modern area where the community building is. And this will be a traditional spiritual area. Not everybody will be able, able to go beyond this point. There's a buffer zone right here. We're here at Wahoga because of this group's accomplishments. They got fed up and asked for their village back in 1977. It was just a silence there for about three seconds because no one's ever asked anything like that with the Park Service, especially Native people, indigenous people from this area. Forty years later, they actually have Wahoga and they get to call the shots. Earlier this year, the tribe signed a 30-year agreement with the Park Service to develop the village. Did you guys recently build these? Yeah, we built those in 2009. What are they called again? Umachas. It'll have 15 bark teepees called umachas that represent the 15 cabins that were once on the site. They're going to build a community center, and they're already building a spiritual center called a roundhouse. And before they show me this roundhouse, they want to take a moment of silence. Our tradition here is that we... We make an offering okay. to the roundhouse. At this point, they asked me to turn my recorder off. They pass out tobacco mixed with herbs, and we all pray in our own way. We pray to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, and then to the sky and to the earth. I don't know where you stand on the spiritual spectrum, but I definitely felt something as we prayed. It got silent, and nature became super evident all of a sudden. And I want to be honest with you. I was having a bad day, and in that moment, I started feeling peace and clarity on an issue that had been bothering me. The village's revival means Native Americans in Yosemite will finally have a place to call their own. But to get the village back hasn't been easy. There have been hurdles with park management over things like building safety. 
In 2011, the park superintendent halted progress on this roundhouse because he deemed it unsafe. Park Service wanted us to do project management. That's what they understand, is project management and policies. Now, So you had to speak their language in some way. Oh, yes. Well, and, and, and the Indian people have, think, traditional, spiritual, and cultural. So we had to bridge that gap. Half a decade later, they got approval from the Park Service to build a roundhouse in the traditional way without any nails and brackets. And they're only using Native American companies to construct the village. We may not be here in 30 years, the elders you're talking to right here on this table, but we can set it up for the younger people to continue on for this. Uh, we'll def definitely make our mark in, in this village uh, in 30 years' time or until the creator calls us. And for these elders, the best part about the village is that... This is going to be ours. Ours, we won't have to ask permission to, to, to use it. This whole village, our dream is someday to own this, own this land. The entire village should take about five years to build. Julia and Lucy Parker earlier in Awani Meadow. Now we're in the Park Service's Native American village area near the visitor center in Yosemite Valley. There's a roundhouse here, an interactive trail in Umachos. This is coiling with the three stick here. You add three. So what that does is it makes it kind of a 3D look. They're teaching me how to weave baskets together out of willow, roots and a plant called redbud. You know, you have to be kind to your willows. And each basket maker has her own area where she collects them. The very act of Lucy and Julia wrapping fiber around willow stems to make baskets is keeping their culture alive. Each one of these strands, you have to sit and you have to size all by hand like this. You want it like ribbon. Lucy, who's in her 60s, says the only way traditions like this will keep going is if young people take interest. The generation needs to come and sit and talk with somebody if they're willing. You know, the elders are willing to share, you know. Julia, who's now in her 90s, has a message for young Native Americans, and it's pretty simple. Stop, look, and listen, and always carry a smile on your face. We know a lot of bad things happen, but we want to look to the future with happiness. When Julia said this, I felt like it was kind of corny. But now I get what she's saying. Take every opportunity to learn about your culture and slow down so you can take it in. And it made me think about my own family history and how I don't know that much about it. And now I want to ask my relatives questions. There are young people in the Awanichi community that are taking Julia's advice seriously. Rebecca Castro was 27. She was raised near Yosemite and lives in the Bay Area now. I absolutely want to move back to the area. I miss Yosemite with my whole heart. Rebecca's parents worked in the park, and her second cousin is Tony Brocchini, one of the elders we met earlier. In high school, Rebecca was really confused about her culture. I'd heard all of these stories from my family, and they'd kind of taken me around to, like, the missions and told me, like, backstories of how natives were treated, and then I'd go on, like, a trip or something with, with school and, like, learn something completely different. All this confusion got Rebecca thinking. What's written down? barely touches how bad some of the things were that actually happened. I felt like a lot of that tragedy was missing. Um, 
because there, there is so much sadness, and that's something that's hard to explain. She wants Native Americans to be able to touch that sadness so they can fully understand their own heritage. That's why she's in business school. She plans to create a platform or organization to teach the real story of Native Americans here. Something that really bothered me about anthropology was how everything was talked about in the past. Um, like all of these cultures were just like historical references, but what about all the modern day people? Like we are modern natives. We are in society. We are going to business schools and we are, um, you know, on, I'm recording this on an iPhone. We're modern. Um, we're not kind of the noble savages. Rebecca hopes to host her idea at the new village so young people can sit among elders and learn from them before they're all gone. And she wants the public, as they join in conversation, to realize that Yosemite is more than just a beautiful place. So many people have a love of Yosemite, and that is wonderful. But we do need to remember that we can practice our own spiritual traditions and remember our ancestors who lived there for thousands of years in our own special way. This episode has made me realize something. I viewed Yosemite just as this iconic outdoorsy place where I can challenge myself on hiking adventures. I've ignored its spirituality. Hearing these stories has made Yosemite come alive. And even though I'm not Awanichi, I feel more connected to this place because I've met and communed with its people. And them gaining their voice back in the form of a village seems like just a starting point in the process of reclaiming their place here. We want to hear from you. Do you belong to a tribe with ties to Yosemite Valley? Tell us your story. Or do you have questions about Native American culture in the region? Send us an email or a voice memo with your stories or ideas, and they just might air in our final episode of the podcast. Yosemite Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Linnea Edmire is the executive producer. Our theme song is Arizona Moon by Blue Dot Sessions. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See photos, maps, and more stories on our website, capradio.org slash Lane. And I'm your host, Ezra David Romero with Capital Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Yosemite Land. Thank you.